right, all right, all right. Welcome to Living in the Past, where two middle-aged dudes relive their past by enjoying the pop culture of their youth. Devin, are you ready to hack into the system, change our grades, and start a global thermal nuclear war? Jeremy, if I actually believed in this day and age that a 2400 baud rate dial-in <laughs> modem could do all those things, I would totally be on board with that. Oh my gosh, that's right. We are doing the 1983 film War Games. This is the 40th anniversary. And uh, it's interesting, Devin, like some of the themes in this uh, nostalgic fest of mm-hmm. a film, nostalgia fest film. Yeah. Some of the themes still might apply today. Well, so. that's why we're going to unpack it for our <laughs> listeners, Jeremy. So if you are if you are in Gen X or you're middle-aged like we are, you might go, wait, what was War Games? The film mm. is basically, it's, a, it's considered kind of a classic. It's set against the backdrop of the Cold War era. The story follows a young and curious computer whiz, David Lightman, played mm. by the one and only Matthew Broderick. Yeah. And David accidentally hacks into a powerful military supercomputer. And when he does, he unwittingly initiates a series of events that could lead to a global nuclear catastrophe. As he engages in a virtual battle simulation called Global Thermal Nuclear War, the computer interprets the game as reality and launches a countdown to Armageddon. And the whole movie is as the clock is ticking, can these goofy teenagers come through and save the world? Yes. I'll tell you, Jeremy, um, having grown up during the Cold War, um, there's no one, no one, Jeremy, that I'd (laughs) rather come to the rescue of the brink of thermonuclear destruction as some fucked up teenagers (laughs) like I have in my classes. Uh, I hope they listen to this. so, so, So therapeutic. So therapeutic. When was the first time you saw a war game? I was in the theater oh, when it cool, came out. So cool. yeah, and then you know I was on repeat on either uh, video cassette or I don't know. Did it ever make like it must have made the rounds on TBS at yeah, some point? It, I, yeah. That's what like I I saw it in the theater, but I definitely remember that just the repeat yeah. viewings on regular yeah. cable TV, not even like HBO. Yeah. It was just on <laughs> TBS. It felt like every day. Yes. At some point. Um, this was a, a big film for Broderick and his co-star, Ali Sheedy. Um, love Broderick. I mean, of course, he, and a few years later, he has Ferris Bueller's Day Day Off. And right. That's such a classic film. Um, right. And, and you could almost, it's almost, um, it, it's almost bulletproof in terms of calling Ferris Bueller's Day Off a, a classic. Like, right, I don't right. think anyone can say, no, it isn't. Um, Ali Sheedy... Is interesting because she really comes on the scene in this film. She has Breakfast Club coming up after that. Uh, I, I even think she's in Short Circuit. I could mm. be wrong, but I think she's in that. Um, were you a big Ali Sheedy fan, Devin? Because <laughs> um, I was. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yes, I was, Jack. Yeah. Well, I digress. Yes, I am, Jeremy. Yes, I am. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it the whole development of the film is really interesting. John Badham was the is the filmmaker, he's the director, uh, but he wasn't initially. And um, it's interesting to look at the stages of the development of war of of the movie War Games. It was originally called even really close to its release. It was called um, The Genius was wow. the title of the film, uh, and you know. I guess that makes sense. Hackers have always in our media and pop culture. Right. People just kind of see them as like little geniuses yeah. and, you know, uh, they might be socially awkward, but they can. Might be. They, yes. They, they can, might be. Yes. We, I had a kid 
early in my career as, an, as a teacher did the Matthew Broderick hack into the school thing. Wow. He got into, um, we had a, a program called Schoolmaster that did mm. our grades. Um, and I mean, it's still in, I mean, still used by schools today. Yeah. And somehow he figured out how to hack into That's it. It's glorious. He went wild. That I mean, he great. changed grades. He hacked into people's emails. Wow. He got in so much trouble that he got expelled. And then I, I think this is what I heard from his classmates. Yeah. Um, that Hired he, by Elon. He well he he got busted by the FBI nice. for hacking and yeah. worked for him. Not, there you Went go. To work for him. Yeah, so brilliant. It's a very catch me if you can kind of thing. Damn. All those times I <laughs> spent reading books and studying for tests. <laughs> I just had to commit felonies and they could have got the call. Could have got a good gig, ah. man. Could have got a good gig. So initially, um, a director uh, came on board was sort of the one that they were. Um, looking at to be the director and it wasn't John Batum. It was mm. a guy named Martin Barton breast. Yeah. And he was fired three weeks into shooting. And, uh, he really was going for a, a much darker film. Matthew Broderick was like, uh, or that character, David Lightman was a college student. Mm. Um, and Broderick was 21. He could have played that easily yeah. when he made the film. Uh, but he easily plays high school all right. the way up to right. his right. mid twenties yeah. and older. Um, so Martin Brest, who, who really made this this dark kind of film, um, Jennifer wasn't even uh, Ali Sheedy's character. Um, Jennifer Mack wasn't wasn't really in the film after the first act. Like once he gets busted and goes off, yeah. Like so, the story was way different, yeah. much darker. There was even like a dream sequence that they were planning to film of like the apocalypse, like wow. it all really happening, yeah. and he was just taking it too dark and the studio was getting like, this isn't really what we were wanting. Mm. The writers who were very involved were like, ah, no, this isn't the direction. Yeah. And, uh, he got canned. He got fired. He took Broderick aside and said, Hey, I'm not going to be your director tomorrow. And Broderick and Ali Sheedy were both really freaked out. They were like, well, then we're probably going to get fired. Yeah. But, um, you know, Badham comes in and, uh, kind of writes the ship Makes it much lighter, yeah. Um, and maybe with the subject matter, that was a welcome because, it, like, a welcome thing. Because I, I mean, the day after is on TV around this time, yes, which was terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> like scared yes. the hell out of me. Yeah. And so, if if you don't remember the day after, I think it was an ABC TV movie event. Yeah. And it was a big deal, huge ratings. But it was basically here's what happens when we go to nuclear war, and right. it terrified the country. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. Um, just if you're sitting there going, wait, I don't know who these directors are. Let me throw out some films that each guy made. So Brest, who gets fired three weeks into shooting, his next film, his comeback, like I got fired. What am I going to make next? Beverly Hills Cop. Did okay for himself. He did okay. He then went on to make Midnight Run with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin, that kind of road movie comedy action film. Made Scent of a Woman. Uh, so Hoo-ah. yeah, so he did, he did great. I mean, he's a, he, he had a good run in the eighties. Batum was interesting. He did, uh, the film with Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez called Stakeout. Yeah. He did make short circuit, yeah. uh, that little robot, uh, movie, uh, your favorite Devin blue thunder. Yes. <laughs> yes. He made blue thunder and, uh, he also, um, made Saturday night fever. There you so, go. I mean, both guys are really capable. Um, the film gets three Academy Award nominations for 
Sound. Here's what I was surprised with. Cinematography. There you go. And writing. Wow. Uh, the screenplay written directly for the screen, not based on anything before. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, is this, I mean, it gets nominated. It was sort of a pop culture sensation at the time. Um, we'll get into the nostalgia of it all in just a minute. But, like, is this really a good movie? Because mm. when I w- did my rewatch, like, I enjoyed it. But I, I found most of my enjoyment coming from two things. The nostalgia of it all. Yeah. Um, and Ali Sheedy. And Ali Sheedy. <laughs> <laughs> and not even in that order. <laughs> And, and, yeah, I should say three: uh, the the nostalgia, Ali Gidi, and then like the conversation about AI. Yeah, um, sure. I found, I found that interesting. Yeah, um, is it a good movie though? I mean, like, let's start with just that basic question: Is this good, or is it just kind of a product of its time? And people today are just kind of like, eh. But so I think when we start looking at '80s movies, this yeah. gets overlooked. I will right. say that. Right. I don't think that makes it a bad movie. What I will say, though, I think if Jeremy, if I can, if you'll allow me, I'd like oh, to just kind of pull you. back the curtain of pull my historian self and kind of give you a little bit of background. Please do. So what we didn't realize at the time, the very same year that this is released in theaters is yeah. 1983. NATO is actually doing a military drill in the Mediterranean, and in Eastern Europe called Able Archer 83. Oh. This was a regular thing. It was not done in secret or whatever else, but because the actual Cold War going on was at its peak then, the Russian military was thinking that they were actually, NATO was actually oh, flexing wow. and preparing for actual warfare. This goes back to actually a little bit further. If we go back to the early 1970s, there's actually a... KGB officer by the name of Oleg Gordievsky. His father was a top KGB general. So if we're looking at the KGB of the 60s, 70s, going to the 80s, general is kind of like that That you have ascended to a certain rank. And right, he was, right, he's right. definitely a party guy. And Oleg goes into the KGB as well. Mm. He also, though, has this, what I'm just going to loosely label as this kind of intrigue slash love affair with Western culture. So he's not... Yeah in it for the same reasons his father is in it. He then gets recruited as he's stationed as a KGB agent in, I believe it was Finland. It was either Finland or Norway. He gets recruited by the British. Interestingly enough, he was ready to give him and allow himself to be recruited by the British. Over the course of the next decade (laughs) or so, Gordievsky rises in stature. He literally becomes the top KGB agent, the head of the resident Tura in London. Oh, wow. And he is just feeding MI6 all this top-level stuff from Russian intelligence that nobody else has access to. Oh, wow. There is a fascinating book that I highly recommend you read by a guy named Ben McIntyre called The Spy and the Traitor. And he details not only everything that Gordievsky went to to get the information to MI6, yeah. but then how MI6 has to come up with a plan to get him out of Russia so the Russians don't kill him when they discover that he is a traitor. Oh, man. It is crazy. That sounds amazing. So all this is like the genuine backdrop yeah. going down in the same year as this movie comes out. That's and amazing. so one of the things that I'm trying to like connect the dots here for our audience is that the, the Cold War is raging at this point. We don't realize as American consumers right. that we are actually quite literally on the doorstep right. 
of an all-out warfare at this time because right. the Russians are absolutely ready to go first strike right. if this able archer thing that is going on in Eastern Europe actually oh turns out to be the, the staging for an invasion. So you have that going on. <laughs> you have that going on. And, and then there's also Ali Sheedy. <laughs> then there's Ali Sheedy, <laughs> thank God. But you know, in, in um, September of 83, yeah, um, Stanislav Petrov um, had overnight command of just a top secret um, kind of Soviet bunker nuclear site. Right. And it had all these early warning systems started going off, yes. all these alarms. So he almost turned the keys. Yeah. They almost launched. Yeah. We didn't even know about this until the Washington Post reported on in 1999. Yeah. So the thing that the movie is talking about is just like this confusion and all that. Right. Um, this almost happens in yes. September of the year. I mean, yes. it's unbelievable. It's like, it, it's true. And that's, so if you want kind of a, a film or cinema version of that, I mean, it's very much that real world event is kind of hijacked and tossed into crimson tide right. as like trying to get confirmation. And that's what, that's right. what Petrov was waiting for. It's like, we don't have confirmation. Yeah. We have a lot of guessing going on, but we don't have confirmation. Right, right, right. And so, yeah. Yeah. So once again, here we are yeah. eating popcorn, watching Ali Sheedy. <laughs> When really, like, yeah. we've got an old MS-DOS running nuclear programs yeah. in the two global superpowers, and we're on, like, the doorstep of destruction. It's unbelievable. It I, really it's is. It's unbelievable. And that's kind of how the film begins. You have the whole, like, it's a snowstorm. You have these guys in a missile silo, U.S. personnel. They go in. They get the, the call to fire their missiles. Um, they start to go through the process. You will see a young Michael Madsen, who later goes on to be in a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies, is one of these Air Force guys mm. getting ready to turn the key. Yeah, yeah. His partner doesn't turn the key. He draws his revolver and says, you must turn the key. That's how War Games yes. starts. Yes, And so it's like this echo of what's really going on in the world. Yeah. It, it is amazing. It's always amazing because it's. I feel like it's going on all the time. Yeah. But it's amazing we didn't blow ourselves up. Uh, you, you think? I mean, it's you think? Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so we have this nuclear war backdrop. I think because War Games is is tapping into something. I think as like a cultural artifact, it's good. Like yes. it's worth our time. Yeah. To go back and look because I think it does capture eighty three perfectly and and yeah. almost in yes, it's fun and funny. You have these charismatic actors, but the content in War Games is really tapping into our own fears, but right. just, but a reality that right. does exist. Right. And, and that's, so you have that going on, but then you just have the kind of the fluff nostalgia of war games. that doesn't really happen until 10, 15, 20 years later, 30 years later, right? It's now the 40th anniversary yeah. and people watch it, not only going, yeah, we were really scared at that time, but they yeah. also watch it going, oh, there's Galaga. Right. Like right. there's yeah. this. And so you have <laughs> like, you have the technology aesthetics of the film where, you know, you have these like vintage computers. In fact, I was doing the rewatch. Yeah. And it's, it's the, it's the famous scene. We'll play it in a minute where it's the, shall we play a game scene? Right. But Matthew Broderick reaches and gets a, a massive, one of those big, like, five-inch floppy disks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my daughter, Jane, who is 13, goes, what's that? <laughs> and she was in the room. She was she was on her phone but kind of paying attention. Yeah. And and uh, I go, well, that's a floppy disk. A what? A flop? That's the... De Devin, that's the first time she's ever seen a floppy disk. Well, Jeremy, <laughs> until her wedding night, let's keep it that way. 
Uh, yeah, so, you, so five and a quarter inch, right? <laughs> that's right. Uh, One point four four meg of memory, Jeremy. Uh, um, that's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, well, and here's here's the thing, though. Like, I I think that like that there's that part of it that is right. like gold golden moment, right? Yeah, Where it's like, right, yeah. uh, well, that's how we had to boot up our computer and then take that out and yeah. put the program computer disk in. Um, and I think that's one of the things for me is it, it, there's a lot of computer nerdum yeah. there's like oh when I, when I sat down with the the Apple 2e and played a a text-based yep. version of yep. Zork that was yep. like this is amazing it was life-changing yes. around that time King's Quest yes. comes out yes you know, it's just yes like, What's thank going you on? Roberta oh, yes oh man so you got you got you have kind of the technology kind of aesthetics yeah right and you have like the fashion and the hair yeah right every kid that was white probably had matthew broddick's haircut yes. at some point yes god bless us all um so you have that uh you have um just cultural references just pop culture references. so at one point matthew broddick's playing galaga right and it was hilarious because i was watching an interview much much later and he was talking about the role yeah. um, of david lightman that this role that he's playing and he said I couldn't type. So they gave me, you know, this typing like like program yeah. on like, you know, one of those old computers. Yeah. yeah. And so I needed to learn how to type. And they also brought Devin Clever. They brought and gave him a Galaga arcade machine. You jerk. And he he to train for that scene. To train. He said he didn't learn how to type, but he played the hell out of Galaga. He I said, would imagine. He said, so. I was so, and that's me playing in the film, just rocking it, you know? And so those things, like, yeah. you know, I was uh, at a, um, it was this past Christmas, I went to Tahoe, nightmare trip, but it was whatever. But in the, in the house that we, this Airbnb, they had a Galaga arcade. Beautiful. And I played it. Yeah. hours rightly hours. so rightly so, so there's so many moments like that you know um i think at one point he gets a slurpee when he gets arrested he's walking out of a 7-eleven with a slurpee we still have that today but yes but there is something about being a kid walking to the 7-eleven totally. getting a slurpee walking you know totally. it's just, it taps into those things and i also think i don't know about you as you were mentioning like the apple II, yeah. like there was a definite fascination with these computers. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is now, like when a new iPhone is announced or a new sure. iteration of whatever. But but this was the first time it started to happen. Right. And there was this um, fascination, but also this um, curiosity. Yep. Like, what can these things do? What are they right. capable of? And so while what David Lightman, Matthew Bardock's character, what he does with the computer might not be accurate like i don't know if you can hack into all these things right, right. in 1983 it, right it's much more feasible today with yeah. the way the internet is but um it was one of those things where we were like oh is that what they're capable of doing mm -hmm. it was this almost mm -hmm. like oh this is where we're going kind right. of thing in war games did right. you feel that way when you watched it? yeah absolutely because you know at that point in history it, it at least in the neighborhood I grew up in, Jeremy. Um, very few families had yeah. a home computer. Yeah, one, it, it just wasn't a thing yet, and two, those that did have it were, you know, like the doctor's kids yes. and and the lawyer's yes. kids and things like. And so it, it was this kind of forbidden fruit in a lot of ways. Right. And then to have this understanding that it's not just you in your house playing on your computer it's you can connect to other computers and like that like 
tell me more about that. Right. Like we talk about science fiction. That right. sounded like pure science fiction yeah. at that point, right? It's yeah. out of the mind of it's Ray Bradbury. Crazy. It's crazy. And can I just say while we're talking about, it, thank goodness Al Gore invented the internet that the rest of us are enjoying today. Thank you, Al. We Thank really, you. We really appreciate yes. it. So, so here's the scene. I think it might be one of the most famous scenes from the movie. It's when David connects with Whopper. <laughs> We're in. It thinks I'm Falcon. Hello. that it'll ask you whatever it's programmed to ask you you want to hear it talk yeah i love valley Fever. i'll ask it how it feels <laughs> i'm fine how are you excellent it's in long time can you explain the removal of your user account on june 23rd 1973 they must have told that he died People sometimes make mistakes. Yes, they do. How can I talk? It's not a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play a game? Oh. <laughs> I think I missed them. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later, let's play Global Thermonuclear War. Love it. <laughs> Is it a little weird of all the games that he could have chosen to play? He does go just right for the end of the world. Yeah. Like, just yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, it's, it's like, I don't. I'm trying to think if I had that type of fascination that I would have wanted to. I guess it was interesting. Yeah. You know, you remember all the little lines of the missiles oh, going sure. across Missile the screen. Command and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe so. I, here's one of the big questions I had just watching the film on the rewatch last week. And it's sort of like, is the theme that it's addressing still viable today? Mm. And, and so, so the question is this, like, are we, should we be in total control mm. of everything, weapon yeah. systems, all that? Because the film starts with this kind of like failure. Right. Um, but then you have the AI come along and it fails. Sure. So where, one, we should just not have the weapons. Right. Like that, that's the, like that's the, sure. that's the goal, right? Yeah. Um, but it's like, I feel like this conversation is almost, it was going on in war games. But I feel like it is as important today as it was then, maybe even more so, because mm. we're starting to see what AI can do. And we know that like human beings make mistakes. We know that human beings can be um can do evil things. Right. Um, but you know, I was putting in I was working on a YouTube short for the thing. Mm-hmm. And I was using ChatGPT yeah. to help me craft like what are ten things that are like unknown facts about the mo- the nineteen eighty two film The Thing. Yeah, and I I will do stuff like that if I feel like I have some expertise in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in education, if I use it, it's often is like a research tool. Yeah. Um, and so I I asked it just to try to organize my thoughts, and it gave me a list of ten things, and I was reading through it, and I would say half of them were lies. Yeah. 
Like they weren't true. Yeah. They, like one was at the beginning of the thing. This so Chat GPT gives me this. It said. One little-known fact is that a man got in a dog suit and ran across the ice at the beginning of the thing. Wow. That was one of the ones <laughs> listed by ChatGPT. It's like a little-known fact. Purely creative. It's so little-known. <laughs> it's like, what? Even the director wasn't in on that little stunt. <laughs> yeah, Carpenter was clueless, oh right? Oh, my god. So it's like, and then we've also seen in the last year or so um, malevolent things that AI is doing where yeah. it becomes possessive of people it's in, interacting right. with. Right. And so I guess my question is, is the, is the theme of what do we do with AI? Mm. Should we eject it completely? Where does human decision-making, where's all this work? Yeah. I feel like that theme is even bigger today. Without question, without question. Well, I mean, you know, we've got the the one super nerd kid in the movie who knows how to get his computer to connect to other computers and and other stuff. Now we're walking around with computers in our pockets that, for that matter, the one on my wrist right now, the one on your wrist right now, that that are thousands of times more powerful than Uh, what Matthew Broderick would have used in 1983. Yeah. The, The other part of that is like, and and we see this just as educators that the opportunity to do something with AI. It's the wild, wild West. Everyone has access to it. It is untamed. There are not, I don't care what the AI companies are telling us. There are not things in place to have checks and balances. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not going to be too much further down the road where someone's going to do something I, I, I talk with, you know, one of the first units I do in U.S. history every year is talking about misinformation and disinformation. And this year, obviously, talking about with AI and deep fake technology. And it's not going to take very long right. for this next election cycle in the U.S. where somebody's going to make a fake movie oh, about sure. from one of the candidates saying yeah. something or being in a weird situation. <laughs> yeah. Or perhaps even more dangerous, it's going to be a North Korean dictator who's been used as a deep fake to threaten us or vice versa, maybe perhaps even more, more dangerous than that is a deep fake of the United States president, whomever that is at the time threatening North Korea or Russia or insert enemy here. And there is no constraints on turning the key and pushing the button. And I, and I think that that's, that's where we are heading. I'm not saying we're going toward thermonuclear destruction, although we probably are, but (laughs) But, but because there are not checks and balances in place, right. because it is so accessible, yeah, that we're going to find ourselves in some really shitty situations because yeah. of it. Yeah, AI is here. Yeah. Like we're interacting with it all the yeah. time in a multitude yeah. of ways. It's it's exciting at times. Yeah, it makes some things much easier, tasks Absolutely. easier where they were really hard before. Yes. But then also you you're dealing with some very nefarious things where it could be used just like anything. Anything yeah. in of itself is not necessarily evil, right? Right. right. Um but it could be misused, right? right? And so, yeah, you have these it's it's fascinating to think about and and we have this 83 movie that like I don't know, it almost feels like War Games is like here's where we're going, everybody like yeah, giddy yeah. up. And, and it's interesting that the screenwriters were like considering the questions that really are kind of dominating 
a lot of our discourse when it comes to like our weaponry and right. and our AI. Right. And you know, to have AI control our weapon systems, frankly, is terrifying. But so is humans controlling it. Like yeah. it, it's just. It almost feels like it's kind of where Oppenheimer Oppenheimer ended, right? Yeah. Where he is like realizing what he's wrought. Yeah. Like what he's brought onto the world yeah. is this way that we can destroy ourselves. Right. And it's like, how do you live with yourself? But it, it's also the, this thing is like, um, he realized like, well, if I didn't do it, someone would have. Like this is where we were going in science. Right. And right. we were heading in this direction. And right. there's even a scientist in the film that, like is the one that creates the hydrogen bomb and like he isn't really front and center yet. He's yeah. developing his ideas while they were working on the atomic bomb. It's unbelievable, but it's like, and, and there, <laughs> there is a global market for it. That's yeah. the craziest thing. Right. I know, I, so, I but let me ask this though, because you touched on this earlier and it has to do with just how the film itself is put together. Right. Which do you think, would a modern day audience more resonate with a watching of this and the kind of dialogue that we're having right, right. now or remaking rebooting of this? Mm. I think it's a, it's a, we live in, I'm surprised it hasn't been. Mm. I, I'm surprised this isn't in development in some studio somewhere. Yeah. I guess the strike is fouling everything up, but it's like, it's ready It in the, World of Hollywood now where there is a the main the big studios with their big projects, they rarely take risks making original things. You mm. do see them like right. Blumhouse Studios will right. make, make right. something original, uh, but they do remakes. Um, you see some independent films obviously being original, but a lot of stuff is like some IP that already exists. Sure. And so because that's the name of the game, War Games seems... Um, obvious yeah like in that if you get the right actors in it right like you can like charismatic actors yeah. and actresses yeah you could almost repeat the story and i right. think it would captivate yeah audiences again yeah you know? tom holland to wardrobe please tom <laughs> holland to wardrobe uh, you can totally see him in yeah it, right in zendaya right. like as 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 the jennifer character right like it just would tell him it would yeah. make total sense people go see it in droves totally um and so i'm surprised that hasn't happened and it, it is so near to us and i don't think when war games came out it was as near i think there was a lot of people just oblivious like oh right. wait what Right. Uh, and then there was this recognition, not just the fascination with computers, but like, oh, we, what if we put these two things together? What if we put, right, right. you know, um, nuclear weapons with our AI? Like, what is this going to do? And it's 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 terrifying to right. think about then. And of course, it is now. I have a question, though, when we look back on the film kind of fondly. Yeah. Um, I had this thought as I was watching it that and this is teacher Jeremy. Oh. This is dad Jeremy. Oh. Um, David Lightman is kind of a scumbag, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, he hacks into the school computer. He changes yeah. his grades. He yeah. doesn't do anything. He's hanging out at the arcade and misses class. Right. Comes in late. He, he insults the teacher. Yes. Which if the, the insult is like, um, it's a, it's a sex mom wife joke or something. It's, it's, it's a great joke, but it's like if a kid said that to me, I would just like yeah. I would just body slam him yeah, right there. Yeah, my job. Yeah, yeah, I would no longer be an educator. It's it's just, and then he 
decides to start a nuclear war. Like sure. he's just like, let's play global form a nuclear war with this yeah. this uh you know AI that I have no knowledge of other than I just want to play some games. And this sounds is, about this right. <laughs> I mean, is he though? Is he or is he just is it is it what we would expect from youth? Like bright intelligent young people. Yeah. Well, I can only speak for myself, Jeremy. I know when I was that age, I was always like full of humility, (laughs) always deferring to my elders for insight and advice. As as Uh, you should. Yeah. Um, Listen, I think that this plays hand in hand with the cast of characters that fill our classrooms each and every day and, and will forevermore. I think that this is just like where you're at. Of of course, of course, somebody that's in high school or early college has these thoughts and yeah. beliefs that they yeah. have the world by the huevos <laughs> and and whatever thought is 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 coming from neurons connecting in their brain is right on target. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean from from our old man yes. middle-aged white dude perspective yes. total dick. I don't want him in my class. <laughs> I hope he drops. I hope he drops. Drop the class. Yeah. David Lightman. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I will say my favorite scenes are when he like hacks into the school computer. Yeah. <laughs> like when I was a kid, I was like, where is this technology right. and how can I access it? Because <laughs> I want to, I want to change my grade. Cause I had a D too. Yes. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's captivating what war games did. I will say, here's my critique, just film critique. Yeah. Um, not necessarily the topics or the themes. Yeah. My critique of the film is that I really feel like when he gets arrested, uh, we're in the second act of the film. Mm-hmm. I feel like the middle of the film drags. Mm. And whenever I would like, whenever it would be on TBS, if it's in the first act before yeah. we like we play the scene, shall we play a game? Like, yeah. I'll watch that. Yeah. And then I watch the end where, you know, there's right. the, I think it's tic-tac-toe that they play, you know, yeah. at the end, you know, um, try to like help the AI understand there's a no-win scenario. Right, can't right. Win. Um, I love the beginning and the end, but that middle drags, and I actually think, and I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna step up and speak up Whoa. and defend my girl, Ali Sheedy being absent from this a large part because if you remember, yeah, um, he gets arrested and then David Lightman is like he's um, he's sort of like kind of jostled around. He's, he goes to this the, to NORAD. He's in yeah. stuck in a kind of a closet and he kind of breaks out and he's kind of like trying to figure his way out. And then he calls Jennifer, who helps him get money so he can get where he needs to go. And then she meets him. Mm-hmm. And her absence from the film, I think it was, it caused the film to drag because when they're together, there's this back and forth. She asks the questions that we as an audience are trying to figure out. Yeah. Uh, she's like, what is that? What does that do? How does it talk? Like, right. you know, all these questions that we as an audience are sitting there asking. And when you remove her, I think she's so vital to the story. When you when you take her out of the story, I just felt like it was so boring. Of course, when I was a kid. Yeah, naturally. I was like, yeah. You know, I was yeah. like where's Ali Sheedy? Can she come back? <laughs> but to think that they had removed her after the first act. She wasn't in the second or third act. She wasn't in the film again. Yeah. And then they, when, when Badham took over and started directing, he's like, no, 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 no. We're going to put her back. So... I, I really feel like when it comes to critique, I just feel that middle section is just, I'm not going to say boring, but man, it, it the pacing is really slow. For you, when you think back, is there any elements of the film that you're just kind of like, mm, I don't know, or like hard critiques of it or 
things that you didn't like or things maybe you like as you critically look at it like I really liked this. I well, I think the story is compelling and yeah. and you touched on that as far as the actual time period and stuff that, right, right. that this came out. I I think from today, you know, if we look at this film through the lens of 2023 as we're recording this, I think a lot of it doesn't fly. I think either Ali Sheedy's character mm-hmm. has to be the lead mm-hmm. because the way this played out in 1930 yeah. is there's too much mansplaining, right? So either yeah. she's got to be the lead and those yeah. roles are reversed yeah. or or she has enough computer background savvy that it, it's almost a, a team type thing right. versus right. him having to constantly explain everything to her. Yeah. I Listen, I, I think that we've had our share of films that we've talked about mm-hmm. over the course of this podcast where the second act often Drags. Yeah. Sometimes feeling like it's just a completely different movie. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. I will say this though. I think that in regards to that, there is one movie that I hold dear to my heart that the second act, I just there's parts of it where it really slows down for me, but I yeah. still love it. And that is the original Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. <laughs> I, I I think that, you know, and I know some people are probably driving off the road right now or like <laughs> messed up your rhythm and pace on the treadmill. But like the original Star Wars has some pacing problems yeah. toward the end of the first act going yeah. into the second act. That being said, I, I wouldn't change a whole lot of this version right. of the movie. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's interesting. I, I think you're right when you, talk about like if it was made today Jennifer needs to be different yeah right um, there needs to be some different and she's really the only film female in the film right you know there's a scene where where David takes Jennifer to kind of this like computer systems like technology yeah like um, company right and they reveal that like Falcon might have put a back door into the system to where you can get in and play the games yeah so you have those guys you have all the military personnel um stereotypical military personnel i think i think if you remember there was a show called um northern exposure in the mm-hmm. early 90s yeah, and there was right. barry corbin played an astronaut that had retired up in alaska yeah and uh he plays the general general jack Berenger in the film yeah. and like he is so stereotypical like military general like yes. it's just like oh my gosh are you serious like i have actually met generals in my life and none of them are like this guy, <laughs> you know, it's just like this. Yeah. So you have these, like all these dudes, Dabney Coleman is in it. Yes. And of course he's in, he's in one of my favorite spy movies called oh. cloak and dagger. Oh, with Henry Thomas. Um, yeah. love that movie. Watched it like repeatedly. Um, so you have all these guys and then you just have Ali Sheedy. And so I think that would, for me, that would be another kind of, issue with yeah. the film is that uh oh i guess the mom's in it right. and she just bickers at the dad right. and, and tells him you know yeah the corn raw where he puts yeah. it on the bread yeah. and like i remember trying that one time i'm like what the <laughs> hell is this um yeah I, I would think that would be a way to change the film and make it more accessible to more people you know? i think too we, we would have to keep in mind if we're talking about reboots i think our culture in itself has a general level of understanding about computers and AI and everything else that, that we didn't have. So right, there was, there right. was a lot of quote unquote mansplaining to the audience right. that we probably wouldn't need today. No, no, we wouldn't. And it's so funny when you see some of these like hacker movies, like 
they don't they just like I'm doing this and this, and they right. give all this lingo yeah. and a lot of times it doesn't make it's just made up it's just yeah. made up crap. <laughs> like I'm thinking of swordfish with Hugh Jackman oh and John gosh. Travolta like they were just making up crap. Yeah. Uh, but then you see a TV show like Mr. Robot where yeah. like that like was legit. There's right. people like hackers that are like, yeah, that's that's what you do. And so it's interesting just that world. And, and But I think we're way more savvy and we can pick up on things as audiences right. much more like easily than we, we did back in 1983. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll do There Can Be Only One where we talk about our favorite thing about the movie. Mm. All right, Devin, what's your favorite thing about war games? It could be, you know, it could be a scene. It could be a character. It could be the music. It could be a theme, whatever. Yeah. What What's your favorite thing about war games? I think it just has to go with the the overall, I guess, excitement that I, that I still get. That I yeah. still get from just the computer geekdom. Right. Like Fine. the ability to tap into a government freaking like computer like that. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. It's intoxicating. Just that it is the power of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is really cool. I, I love that. Um, I know everyone that's listening is going to be surprised. My favorite thing isn't Ali Sheedy. Whoa. Uh, my favorite scene would be that initial scene that we played, where mm. it's the "Shall we play a game?" I, yeah. I, I, I was captivated by that. Still am. If that's on TV and I'm flipping channels, I actually still do that. I have YouTube TV and I'll flip. Uh, if I, if I land on that, I'll I'll, I'll stick around. Um, and then I would say I think I think for me um, it is the nostalgia bomb mm-hmm. of the film, mm-hmm. I, and and that's a lot of what this this show does is like look back at things. Yeah, War Games is like it does something really interesting. It's not super in your face. Like when he's playing Galaga, it's not like there's not like a five minute scene of him playing Galaga. Right. It's just there. Yeah. It's part of the world, and yeah. it felt natural yeah but it's also something as an audience years and years later 40 years later we look at it and go yeah did that a lot yeah, you know indeed played, played that a lot yes um well thanks everyone for listening real quick uh you can find us on patreon.com forward slash living in the past l-i-v-i-n-i-n the past where you can find not only podcasts early we give those we release those several days in advance but you get your own personal podcast for our patrons called what you talking about that comes out once a month so keep an eye out for that if you're interested please head on over to patreon.com and not only do you get podcasts but you get early access to all the videos that we're making for youtube you get that days in advance as well uh, sometimes unedited because youtube sometimes likes to cut a lot of content out of the videos that we make uh for youtube and so we just put the whole thing up on patreon for our for our wonderful, wonderful supporters. So take a look there. I would say, you know, go over to Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, but, you know, don't even worry about it anymore. Wow. I don't even, like, what's the point? I deleted the Twitter account. Yeah. Um, and Facebook.com forward slash live in the past. You could, like, go over there and follow along wow. to nothing. Wow. Like, That's, but Okay, you know. boomer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with Facebook. Uh, YouTube's a great place to find us as well. If you just go to the search engine and type in Living in the Past podcast, you'll find us. You'll see that beautiful, beautiful logo. Hey, we got Jurassic Park next. You'll hear that in about a week. So as always, thank you so much for listening and we'll talk soon.